They call me the Phantom and I tell you why. Cause I'm the man who cannot die. I boogie through the jungle in my purple suit. The big men's all dig me cause they think I'm cute. G'day everyone. For those who came in late, you're listening to Expand, the Phantom Podcast. Please subscribe to us via your favourite podcast player or YouTube. And do not forget to leave a review. 500 years ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck. And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty. And all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom, the ghost who walks. The Enemies beware, the Phantom's always there. But you won't find the Phantom. He finds you. We are the X-Band, the Phantom podcast from Chronicle Chamber. Well, technically speaking, I'm not one of those guys. I've just snuck in. I've stolen the reins again. But I'm a huge fan of what they do, and I think you should be too. You probably already are. What you can do is check out their website at chroniclechamber.com, and you can contact them by email on chroniclechamber at gmail.com. You might tell them never to let me have the reins again, or you might tell them to let me keep doing it. Anyway, it's up to you. So, why am I here? What am I discussing today? The Diamond Hunters. The third story from Lee Falk and Ray Moore. Now, in my opinion, these guys might be, they're the originals and maybe the best creative team that ever worked on The Phantom. I'm going to be talking about what's good and what's bad about their third story, The Diamond Hunters. So let's get into it. Smiley is our main baddie in this story. He and his associate Hill locate diamonds on Lolongo land. Sadly for them, the Lolongo will not cooperate, as the Phantom Law states they are not the deal with white men. Smiley and Hill's scheme to have the neighbouring Way tribe clear out the Lolongo so they can get to the diamonds. They plan to stir up tension between the two tribes and use the forbidden love of Kula, son of the Lolongo chief, and Ota, daughter of the Way chief, to spark the fuse. They are prepared to start a jungle war just to get their greedy mitts on those diamonds. Falk gets straight into it with very clear and direct storytelling. I have to say that the conflict and motivations are right there in front of us. The Singh Brotherhood was all over the place and the Sky Band took a while to get off, off the ground. But the plot of this story is already firmly established and the principal players and their intentions are already introduced on the first few pages. The setting of this story seems to be Africa, although Falk refers to the Orient and to Bombay. Smiley is friends with the chief of the Way and seems to be fluent in the language, unless the chief is speaking English. But despite this, Smiley doesn't seem to know anything about the Phantom. Hill and Smiley can't persuade the Way to go to war with the Lolongo, so they plan to kidnap Ota and frame Kula. This will kick the war off nicely. Smiley tricks the chief of the Way into thinking the white man's newspaper has reported the death of the Phantom. The chief of the Way is holding the newspaper upside down, so he falls for Smiley's scam. Mmm, that's good racism. The war drums sound out and our hero hears the reports that he's dead. Let's soak in some of Ray Moore's panels. I love the Phantom's banter with Devil. 
The Phantom's personality and characteristics that made him such a great read in the late 30s are already so solid in this third story by Falcon Moore. And the way Moore is depicting him is the way I always see the Phantom. Slim, youthful, athletic, more like a swimmer than a bodybuilder. Captain Melville Horton is back for this story and he's convinced that the Phantom can single-handedly sort out the trouble between the tribes. Horton has been an important character in every Phantom story so far and he has the hots for Diana in a major way. He's not told her the truth that the Phantom is alive. Diana believes the Phantom was killed in the bombing of the island of Herons in the Skyband. After a brief soliloquy, Horton decides that keeping Diana in the dark isn't cricket. So he sends her a telegram and fesses up. Diana, who is on her way to the States, receives the telegram and asks the captain of her ship for assistance in chartering a plane. It's a scene that could have been taken straight from a romantic comedy, a rom-com. The captain says it's impossible to help her reconnect with her husband. Then he discovers that Diana is not married and wants to get back to see her sweetheart, not husband. Suddenly he changes his tune and is ready to help. It's a really cute and silly scene. The sweetheart, eh? That is different. But of course I can help you, mademoiselle. So silly. The band are grieving the apparent death of the phantom that was announced by the OCY drums. They loyally vow to keep the laws of the phantom, even if no others do. Their mourning is cut short when the phantom arrives. Next we see Diana on a ship returning to see the phantom. Oddly enough, she was talking to that captain about chartering a plane, but now she's on a ship, but who cares? The phantom sends two Bandar messages out, one to the OCY and one to the Longo to announce that he is very much alive. This leads to one of my most hated scenes in all Phantom comics. Neither of the messages are believed and both are tortured and killed. One seems to be burnt alive. I read this when I was nine years old and it really got me. I couldn't stand, and I can't stand now, the thought of these Bandar men being killed and tortured. The Phantom is stunned to hear what's happened to his Bandar friends. He sends the Bandar out to capture Kula and bring him to the Skull Cave. The Phantom interrogates Kula, but he does it in his bathrobe for some reason. I guess he's going for some kind of Hugh Hefner vibe. The Phantom is playing things very casual in this story particularly since there's a growing number of fatalities in this jungle war. It's almost as if Bulk didn't really know what to do with the Phantom's character yet. In the Sing Brotherhood, the Phantom was all action, but in the Sky Band, the Phantom was basically a prisoner during the whole story. In the Diamond Hunters, the Phantom just sits around in his robe doing nothing. Ota becomes aware that Smiley and Hill are her captors, so they decide they'll have to bump her off. They also decide to supply the OC way with firearms because the war is being lost. Hill is about to kill Ota with his imaginary knife. I guess that knife was edited out by King Features, or maybe Fruit. The Phantom shoots a gun out of Hill's hand. This is one of the Phantom's most enduring tropes. Visually, the Phantom is just as we know him now, with one exception. At this point, Moore is depicting him with low-cut boots. The Phantom takes Hill and Ota back to the Bandar village where he has detained Kula. He reunites the couple and sends a message to the jungle via the drums that the Phantom piece has returned. 
But why would he think anyone would listen to that? Those tribes didn't believe it when he sent the band art messages. And the drums announcing the Phantom is alive is not going to convince anyone. And guess what? It doesn't. But the drums announce the Phantom is alive, but literally nobody believes it. The Phantom isn't firing on all cylinders in this story, which is strange considering how much rest he got in the Sky Band. Garan is still mad about the band our messengers being tortured and killed, and so am I. But the Phantom doesn't seem to be. Garan says it's time to get the poison arrows out and get some payback, but the Phantom's like, nah. What the hell, Phantom? Get some skin in the game. Like, what have you actually done in this whole story? Nothing. The Phantom learns where the next battle will be, so he enacts a plan to stun the natives with a bit of showmanship. The only problem is that while his plan works out, it's beyond ridiculous. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Let me guide you through it. While preparing for his big reveal, he says he needs plenty of dynamite and a whopping big skull he has in the cave. He gets the bander to bring this massive skull to the battlefield in the dead of night and they bury it. Now I think Falk wants us to ignore the elephant in the room, but I couldn't ignore it when I was nine and I'm not going to ignore it now. What the hell is this giant skull? Where did it come from? What's it made of? How much does it weigh? The Phantom doesn't help his men, the bander, carry this thing. And there's no evidence that he helps him dig the hole either. He says, now get the apparatus in and lower in the skull. Then I'll plant the dynamite. What apparatus? What the hell is going on? So the next day, right before the battle, the dynamite goes off. There's a terrific explosion. And when the smoke and dust clears, there's this giant skull rising out of the ground. But how? I've got no idea. The natives freak out, and that's fair enough, because I would too. In the next image, the phantom is standing on top of the skull. But where the hell was he? Under it? It's a big, wide-open plane, so he had to have been with the skull, perhaps in it or under it, when, when it was under the ground and during the explosion. So how was he, how was he not dead, and how was the skull not destroyed? Where did he come from? Well, this big grand stunt is a complete dud. In his career, he conjured up some great startling entrances for the Ghost Who Walks, but this is just not one of them. Back at the Skull Throne, which appears to be out in an open field and there's no skull cave in sight, the Phantom setters matters and the chiefs are told to lash each other for their part in the war. The Bandar murders are not mentioned once. The Phantom is questioning Hill. Smiley watches on, hiding in the bushes with a rifle. When Hill is about to sign a confession, Smiley shoots him and flees. Did it ever occur to Smiley to shoot the Phantom as well? Maybe he only had one bullet. The Phantom decides it's time to do what he does best. Have a sit down. He orders all the rifles be destroyed. I'll be honest with you, this story never really did it for me. I love the preceding stories and I love what follows, but the Diamond Hunters never really made it into my favourites list. I've given this story a lot of praise so far and I think it started off great, but I just can't get past the Phantom's inaction during a really crucial time when he was needed. That stupid scene with the big skull was a real low point and the tortured Bandar really ticked me off, especially since the Phantom never dealt with it. 
Believe it or not, this story is just getting started and the best thing it has going for it is just about to arrive. Diana Palmer. Diana Palmer has finally arrived and from this point on she is a major player in the story. Now let's consider why her appearance here is important. This is only the third ever Phantom story and Diana barely appeared in the second one although her scenes were very important. In my opinion, Diana stole the show in the first story before Falk benched her in the final act. She and the Phantom are madly in love but they haven't been able to reconnect properly since the last quarter of the first story. Their paths have crossed briefly in the skybend but under less than ideal circumstances. Diane has thought the Phantom dead on two separate occasions since they last had any quality time together. Now she is sick of waiting and she is here to see her man. This is the Diana that I love reading. She has just shown up to save this story. Smiley has changed his appearance to evade the Phantom. He meets Diana and agrees to guide her through the jungle. He sees this as an easy way to get some cash. Diana hasn't revealed her real reasons for going into the jungle. Smiley, now calling himself Smith, figures Diana is a young, silly tourist with more dollars than sense. He starts to scheme about kidnapping her for ransom, or at least shaking her down for the money that she has. After two weeks of trekking through the jungle, Diana finally twigs that she is getting the runaround and she confronts Smith. After some discussions, he learns that the Phantom is her sweetheart and he sees this opportunity to get square with the Phantom. Smiley's true colours come out, he takes Diana's firearm and drags her to his favourite watering hole, the Bad Camp. While Smiley is taking Diana to the Bad Camp, the Phantom is not far away, bathing in a river while the freshly scrubbed devil sits on the bank. Diana shoves Smiley over and makes a break for it. Devil hears the commotion and goes off to investigate. He finds Diana and protects her from Smiley. The Phantom hears Devil barking but has no idea what's going down between uh, Diana and Smiley. Thinking that Devil has nicked off to chase some rabbits, he calls to him. Devil doesn't want to leave Diana but his loyalty lies with the Phantom so he heeds his call. What a good little fellow. Diana is unprotected and Smiley snatches her again and drags her to the bad camp. This scene more than makes up for the dynamite and big skull fiasco we endured earlier. This sort of ships in the night type of scene where two star-crossed lovers are so close yet so far. This is a favourite trope of mine and it was pretty much the basis of my story about the races. wonder how many times I'm going to plug that. We'll see. At the bad camp, Smiley is networking with all his crooked mates when he spots a native in the bar having a drink. He freaks out because he's worried that the native will blab about him and Diana. So he throttles the poor chap and boots him out of the joint, warning him to keep his trap shut. This probably isn't the best approach. Smiley also has a falling out with some of his mates and he shoots one of them. The drunk native finds his way to the phantom and spills the beans. Meanwhile, the bad camp is literally in flames as everyone in there has gone bananas and they're fighting like cats and dogs. Smiley hoofs it and takes Diana with him. The Phantom arrives at the bad camp and mops up a few remaining roughnecks. He discovers that the captive girl was his darling Diana. Now, finally, I can say I'm enjoying this story. The Phantom is closing in on Diana and 
Smiley is becoming more and more unhinged. One of the roughnecks that the Phantom shook down says to his criminal buddies he's not waiting he's not waiting to form a reception committee for that one man hurricane. Now I don't know what I love more about this era. Bulk's classic dialogue like that or Moore's atmospheric art. The 30s were by far my favourite era of the Phantom. Smiley marches Diana up a stream to mask their scent so Devil won't track them. He gets a chance to shoot at the Phantom and he takes it, apparently killing him. This is the third time Diana has had to go through the trauma of losing the Phantom. Smiley could have been called Talky because he never shuts up. Folk used to go overboard with the amount of dialogue he crammed into his comics, but it's mostly golden. His dialogue is fantastic. The only thing I would complain about is that in his later years he didn't use enough dialogue. Smiley steals a canoe and he and Diana head down the river, unaware it's heading straight to a waterfall. The Phantom is following on foot. He sees Smiley leap out of the canoe onto dry land, leaving the bound and gagged Diana to her fate. The Phantom uses a vine to swing out over the brink and save Diana. A real classic rescue and also it's within the realms of belief. Seeing the Phantom alive freaks Smiley out and he takes off. He thinks the Phantom is back from the dead, but it never occurs to him that he might have missed him. Diana and the Phantom reconnect, and Diana removes his mask for the first time and sees his face. She thinks he is positively handsome. It's a really nice little scene. Phantom has Devil lead Diana back to the Bandar and heads off to wipe the smile off Smiley's face. This is where the story starts to drag. And a few, there's a few memorable moments coming up, but they're not really necessary. There's nothing wrong with what happens, but I feel like it's starting to outstay its welcome. It's time to line things up, folks. Please don't introduce any new characters. Unfortunately, we get a bunch of new characters introduced. Smiley stumbles across a band of smugglers and tells them the Phantom is on his trail. The Phantom overhears them talking and knows he can use fear as a strategy against them. He quotes his dad for the second time in the story. When you come across folks who don't believe you can't be killed, why, just let them kill you a few times to prove they're wrong. I guess this is kind of like um, an old jungle saying. This was before Folk had invented that, so he was having uh, the Phantom's father give quotes. So it's a nice little idea. Now, it's Jungle Crafts time. Today's lesson, Melon Scarecrows. The smugglers are harsh critics of the melon scarecrows. You can't please everybody. They decide to skedaddle without Smiley. Since he's paid them everything he had left from Diana's money, they throw him a rifle. This is actually the kiss of death for Smiley. He just doesn't know it yet. Smiley climbs a tree and waits for the phantom to come into range. The phantom hears a faint stir in the leaves and instinctively fires. I wonder how many chipmunks have been lost to this impulse. Anyway, Smiley is not so Smiley anymore as he becomes the Phantom's first confirmed kill. I reckon the Phantom killed a guy in the Singh Brotherhood, but there's no proof that guy lived or died. Diana is welcomed by the Bandar as the Phantom's Queen. I'm going to assume they said this in English because Diana hears it and she likes it. Before too long, the Phantom returns and kills the Mood by talking about how they will wed and live in the jungle. Diana is a New York City socialite. She doesn't like the idea one bit. 
Diana, I'm home. And late as usual. The Phantom decides that his 400 year legacy suddenly means nothing to him and quits being the Phantom. But Diana will not allow him to turn his back on his responsibilities, so they're stuck in a really tricky situation. Oh, Mother was right. I'm just not cut out to live in the jungle. I don't know what's wrong with you, Diana. I've done everything I can to make you comfortable. They kiss and make up, but Diana spends more time with Baran and the Banda and does some investigating. What will it mean for the jungle if the Phantom quits? Diana makes a heart-pinching decision and she decides to leave. She can't bear the guilt of ending the Phantom's legacy. She leaves the Phantom a note and has Garan help her slip out quietly. This is a wonderful scene and it shows how earnest Diana is. She really is one of the best things about the Phantom comic. Are you starting to understand why I made her the main character in A Day at the Races? I just love her. There's the second reference to my story, A Day at the Races. Three now. The Phantom is shocked to find Diana's note and threatens to fill Garan's head with demons if he doesn't tell him where Diana is. But Garan laughs that off. He's no simple jungle savage. He knows what's up. I should say it's pleasing to see Garan's character begin to develop in the story. Up until now, he was really just a generic racial stereotype. But now he's becoming the Garan we all know and love. Garan says love is the only real demon. Chill out, Garan, sheesh. The Phantom tries to leap over a canyon to save some time. It doesn't save time. Diana heads back to Frasertown, where she's met by Horton, who's still in heat. Diana half hoped the Phantom would follow her. She doesn't realise he's back in the skull cave, nursing a bung leg. The Phantom decides that it would be best to forget about her. As I said earlier, I didn't really rate this story, but you know what? Now I think about it, I've judged it pretty harshly all these years. The story strays a bit and it zigs and zags, but the good certainly outweighs the bad. We've just witnessed the beginning of the greatest subplot in Phantom history. The on-again, off-again, hit-and-miss, ships-in-the-night romance of Diana and the Phantom. This plot disappears briefly during the next story, which is called Little Tomma, but it's back for keeps in the stories after that. And I might have touched on it a bit in A Day at the Races. Did you know that A Day at the Races slips in right after Little Tomma? Well, it does. <laughs> so what's good about this story? Diana, she's the best. Kula and Ota, that forbidden love, that's fantastic. The Lolongo are introduced for the first time. The storytelling is very clear, particularly at the beginning of the story. Horton getting friendzoned, that was good. The fear tactics that the Phantom uses. The Phantom killing smiling is a good thing. I mean, it was self-defense and that guy was a skunk. A lot of people get caught up in this idea the Phantom can't kill people. Uh, I think it's alright once in a while. I mean, he killed a lot of people in his career. I think definitely the best thing about the Diamond Hunters, though, is, and you guessed it, Diana Palmer. She is just the best. But what's bad about this story? Okay, so there's no justice for the barbecued band arm. Hill, he was useless. 
The story is over long. There's too many characters. The Phantom sits around in robes for the first half of the story. I mean like bathrobes. There's this big stupid skull that rises from the ground. That's dumb. Um, and also I guess Diana getting kidnapped every five minutes. That's not, that's not my Diana. But that's it from me. So tell me. Don't tell me. Tell the Chronicle Chamber. Do you want me to talk about more of these comics or have you had enough of me? I'll just buzz off if you like. What is important though is if you love the Phantom, if you want to be kept up to date with all things Phantom, ensure that you follow the best fan site in the world and that's the Chronicle Chamber. You can find it Facebook, Chronicle Chamber. There's the Phantom Collector Group also on Facebook. You can find them on Twitter at Chronicle Tweet, on Instagram at Chronicle Chamber. YouTube, find them there. They've got their Chronicle Chamber page or channel, I should say. Uh, the website, as I mentioned, is chroniclechamber.com and you can email them chroniclechamber at gmail.com. Happy phantoming.